ago today, I introduced to you um, Eastwood's new vision statement, and I hope it's beginning to resonate with you. Eastwood Baptist Church exists, why? To develop relationships, to impact people with biblical answers to life's challenges. That's why we believe God has put us here. As we've prayed through and worked through what's unique about Eastwood Baptist Church, what is it God's called us to do, this is what we believe He shared with us. Now, we were talking that week, the first week, about gathering in worship, and we answered the questions, why church, why you should be in church, but then we also looked at why this church, why you should be at Eastwood, and and even said maybe if you don't resonate with this, maybe this isn't the church for you. But we talked about gathering in worship, and, and we said that there were four values. Values explain why we do what we do. So, for instance, our vision statement. Why would that be our vision statement? Well, because of the four values that we have. Number one, we value the power of God's Word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10 says. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And the only way to get faith is through the Word of God. And so we value the power of God's Word. The second value is we value the pursuit of life transformation. We believe that we should desire and want to become more and more like Jesus. A lot of folks get saved, and for them, that's the end of the story. But that's really just the beginning. There's a process called sanctification that happens when you get saved and last until you physically die from the earth, and that's becoming more and more like Christ. That's life transformation, not being conformed into the image of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Third, we value the passion of missional living. We, we believe that uh, it's our obligation to live for Christ Monday through Saturday the same way we do on Sunday. Uh, to live missionally, to always understand we are His representative wherever we go. And then we value the priority of authentic relationships. You know, there's too many superficial relationships in the world today. And, and we genuinely want to connect with folks and have relationships that, that last an eternity. I shared with you some doctrinal distinctives, some things that we believe that maybe, um, well, I know for a fact, not every church in Bowling Green would affirm these doctrinal distinctives, and I'm not saying anything negative about them. I'm just saying this is who we are. This is what we believe, all right? One of the doctrinal distinctives is the Bible is absolute truth with no mixture of error. Not every church would affirm that, but we believe that, that this is, this doesn't contain the Word of God, this is the Word of God, and a perfect God would have a perfect Word. Secondly, we believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Right up the street, there's a church that would tell you that baptism is part of your salvation. There's only one problem with that, that doesn't, that doesn't equate with the New Testament. Salvation's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You get baptized out of obedience to demonstrate what Jesus has already done for you. It's not part of your salvation. Number three, that leads to baptism is by immersion for believers as a symbol of obedience. Everybody in the New Testament that was baptized, it happened after they came to faith in Jesus Christ, and they were all baptized by immersion. The Greek word there means to dip or to immerse. That's why we don't baptize babies as Baptists, because they haven't come to faith in Christ. That's why we don't sprinkle as Baptists, because everybody in the New Testament was baptized by immersion. Fourth, every believer is a saint and a priest. You don't have to pray through me. Uh, there is one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you go directly to him when you have to confess or when you have to pray. 
the believer is eternally secure. If saved, always saved. I didn't earn my salvation, so I can't lose my salvation. I'm kept by the Lord Jesus. And then six, church government is congregational. As opposed to the Episcopal model where you have bishops, as opposed to the um, Presbyterian model where you have elders, uh, Baptist, Baptist generally, not all Baptists, but generally church government is congregational. Last week, we talked about growing in small groups. Well, the first week, part of our 3G strategy was gathering and worship. Last week, we talked about growing in small groups. We mentioned three groups. There's the Sunday morning groups. We've been calling them Bible fellowship classes, but Sunday morning groups. There's weekday groups, and then there's also men's accountability groups, and we encouraged you to get into a small group. Why would you want to be in a small group? Because the vision statement is accomplished in the small group. Develop relationships. I'm guessing, and I, I, I don't think this is an exaggeration, that 90% of you that are in a small group, your closest friendships at Eastwood Baptist Church are people that are in the small group with you. It happens. That's the way it happens. You get into a small group where you learn about one another and you love one another and you pray for one another. You develop relationships. To impact people, your life has been impacted by the, those that you know. I have seen small small classes reach out when when someone's had a spouse to die i have seen that sunday school class rally around that that spouse when somebody's given birth to a child i've seen that sunday school class gather around and provide meals to that family we we develop relationships to impact people with biblical answers this is in small group that's where we teach the word that's where you ask the questions and, and then life's challenges in small group, it's where you ask the question, man, has anybody else ever gone through this? Am I the only one that's ever had this happen? Y'all tell me how you dealt with this. And people give biblical answers to life's challenges. And so that's why you ought to be in a small group. And we demonstrated it that if you're a growing disciple, what it should look like. What, what should it look like? How do you know if you're growing in your faith? First Samuel 3, verse 2, Samuel presents himself to God and he says, here I am. God's been calling out, and he answers to God, says, here I am. And we used his name, Samuel, as a way of measuring whether or not somebody is spiritually growing. S. S stands for service. Am I using my spiritual gifts? And there's going to be more on that today. I'm going to help you know what your spiritual gift is. All right? Give you the opportunity. The uh, A is for abiding. Am I meeting with God daily? Are you spending time with him Monday through Saturday the same way you do on Sunday? M, mission. Am I ready to go? Now, that doesn't mean go on a mission trip. That just means am I ready to do whatever God says do? Are you willing to sign a blank piece of paper and say, God, now you fill in the details because I've already signed and committed to do it? The U is understanding. Am I growing in core biblical truths? Do, do you, are you growing in your understanding of the word? E is evangelism, and I think, all right, we have it up there. Am I friends with someone far from God? Do, do you know somebody who's far from God? And then the L is love. Am I known by love? Do people, when they think of me, do they think of love? Those are the measurables. That's how you know if you're growing in your faith. So let's turn our attention to today's topic, which is going in service. Several years ago, when our kids were small, we took a, a big circle vacation. We drove up through, 
through the Amish country, Pennsylvania, and went to Hershey, Pennsylvania, and saw the chocolate factory. And then we went to New York City for a couple of days. And then we came down to Washington, D.C., where we, we did things like uh, we visited the National Zoo and saw the National Science Museum and, and went through the Federal Reserve on this little conveyor belt where you can watch money being printed, big sheets of money. And then um, we went up to the, to the Washington Monument. We wanted to check out the Washington Monument. 555 feet, 5 and 1 eighths inches. That's how tall it is. It's the equivalent of 50 stories if you take an elevator. Now, they have an elevator, and in fact, it's closed right now because they're renovating the elevator. But you can also take the stairs, all 897 of them, which, now, mind, mind you, Jan and I were much younger then. All right? We wouldn't make this mistake today. But back then, because there was a long line for the elevator, we took the steps and we walked to the top of the Washington Monument. Let's just say there are easier ways to get to the top than that. All right, that wasn't an easy way. I'll tell you why I tell you that story in just a minute. If you were to visit Wall Street today and you asked them, what is the secret of greatness? They would tell you money and lots of it. He who has the money. If you visit Washington, D.C. and say, what's the secret of greatness? They would say power, and the one who has the power controls the nation. If you went to Hollywood today and asked them, what's the secret of greatness? They would tell you fame, getting Oscar nominations, making lots of money, and having your name out there. But if you were, if you were to go to the greatest man who ever walked the face of the earth, the Lord Jesus... And you ask him, what is the secret of greatness? His answer would be completely opposite of the three answers I just shared with you. In fact, we don't have to ask him because somebody else already did. In Matthew chapter 20, James and John's mother come up to Jesus. And like any mother, she loves her boys. And I'm going to paraphrase here. She says, hey, can I ask a favor? And Jesus is like, well, you can ask. I don't know that I'm going to grant it. But yeah, what is it? And she said, can my boys, James and John, can, can they sit on both sides of you when you come into your kingdom? Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking for. And then it says that he gathered his disciples together in Matthew 20. Well, verse 21, she says, grant that those two sons of mine may sit on your right hand, other on your left in your kingdom. Here's his answer beginning in verse 25. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. Completely contrary to the idea of the world. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for the many. Success and greatness are not God's standard. Greatness is not measured by money or fame or power. It's measured by servanthood, according to Jesus. In God's, in God's kingdom, there's no easy way to get to the top. The only way you get there is by the stairs of service. By serving one another. The more stairs you walk, the closer to the top you get. Notice even Jesus said he didn't come to serve, or he didn't, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for many. Put up our 3G strategy, Matt. This is, this is 
our strategy. There are three ways that people come into Eastwood Baptist Church. At the top there, gather and worship. Some of you, your very first time coming to Eastwood Baptist Church was a worship service. That's a front door to worship. We understand that. For a lot of folks, that's their front door. Some of you were invited by a friend to come to their small group class, their, their Bible fellowship class, and your first exposure to Eastwood was a small group. That's the growing in small groups. Some of you may have been invited to be a part of a, a, a project, a, a service project, like la last year when we helped with building a Habitat for Humanity house. You may have been invited to be a part of that, and so service may have been your front door to Eastwood. It doesn't matter what front door you come in, we want to route you to discovering next steps, which is basically, that's, remember, that's required now for membership, and that's what I'm teaching you. You're grandfathered in because you're going through the the four weeks of next steps. That's what this is. And so today we're talking about going in service. Take your Bible and open it to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 verses 11 and 12. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. And he himself, God, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God, I pray that you would grant wisdom and understanding in how this passage applies to us here at Eastwood Baptist Church. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Three things I want you to understand today. Number one, every Christian is called to serve in ministry. Now, I had to ask David Keene for one in the first service, and so I'm, uh, I'm looking around for one of my ameners in this service. Um, this is a good place for an amen. Every Christian is called to serve in the ministry. We are. Every single person. I'm going to make a case scripturally for you to understand that, but every one of us. Did you know the call to salvation and the call to service are the exact same call? When you get called to salvation, you are being called to service. When Jesus called his initial disciples, his initial followers, what did he say? He said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me, that's the call to salvation. Fishers of men, that's the call to service. He didn't put a period after follow me. It, it was a continuation of thought. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. That's how you will serve. One and the same. One of the most misunderstood terms in the church today is the, is the word minister. We misunderstand that term. When we hear the word minister, we think of paid vocational clergy who work at churches. That's what we think of, but really that's a misunderstanding of the word minister. The word minister comes from a Latin word for servant, which is rooted in the word minus or less. And so technically, a minister is someone of lesser rank who wants to serve. A lot of Christians, we come and we sit and we soak and we sour. We, we, we sit and we soak up everything that, that's taught to us. But you know, if, if, if we're not giving out, if, if all you do is continue to put mop water in, that mop water is going to sour. And that's what happens in a lot of folks' attitudes because they're not giving out what they're taking in. They're not serving. Why does God want you in a church? One of the big reasons is so you can serve inside the church. Why does he bring needy, path, needy people across your path every week? 
so you can minister outside the church. We are not saved by our service, but we are saved for service. God's word's clear on that. Every Christian's been called to minister and to ministry. Now, not everyone's going to be a pastor and work full-time at a church, all right? That's not what I'm talking about. But every, every believer serves the Lord full-time. Whatever you do, you're serving the Lord while you do it. There are no half days in serving the Lord. There are no weekends in serving the Lord. There is no retirement. You can't go on strike when you serve the Lord, all right? It's, it's seven days a week, 365 days a year, we are called to minister. You need to understand what that means. First, you were created to serve. I was created to serve. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God ordained or prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The word workmanship, some of your translations, if you looked in that passage, would say um, masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. It's the Greek word poema, which we get our word poem from. But it wouldn't necessarily in the first century be referencing just a poem. It could be a statue. It could be a painting. It, it could be any piece of art that was valuable. And, and so the picture is that God is the artist. We're the canvas. We're the clay, and he's the sculptor. We're the sheet of paper, and he's the one who writes the poem. That's what, that's what it is saying here. The world has it backwards. The world says, work to make something out of yourself. God says, I'm going to make something out of you so that you can work then in serving me. We're not Christians because we do good works, but we're Christians so that we can do good works, according to that verse. I'm going to skip the long quote by Timothy Keller. Secondly, I was set free to serve we were set free to serve galatians 5 13 for you brethren have been called to liberty that's freedom only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another part of the reason you and i have been set free from the bondage of sin is so that we now can serve one another the flesh doesn't want to serve the flesh wants to be served the flesh says what's in it for me the spirit-filled believer says What's in it for you? How can I minister to your needs? How can I take care of you? We were created to serve one another. And we're set free to serve. Set third, I was gifted to serve. 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. You've been given a spiritual gift, at least one. Most of us have more. Maybe one is more dominant than the others. You may be saying, well, pastor, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Put the website up, www.spiritualgiftstest.com. Takes you about 15 minutes to answer the questions. Ben and I both took the test. Now, the people who run the website are probably just a little bit more charismatic than us. But it nailed it. When we answered the questions for both of us, it nailed what our spiritual gifts are. We, we already knew, but we took it just to see how accurate it was. And so if you want to know, ignorance is no longer bliss. All right? Ignorance is no longer acceptable because I've just told you where you can go and find out what your spiritual gift is. And in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12, we find gifts listed. And I don't believe those are meant to be exhaustive, but some of the gifts that are listed are administration. 
Some people are just gifted in planning and organization and, and figuring out the, the steps to get where we need to go. I'm a big picture guy. Rob Patterson was a step guy. And so I'd see the big picture, and, and because he was gifted in administration, that was his spiritual gift, he could put the steps together and say, Pastor, here's what we need to do to get there. Some people are gifted in discernment. Clearly distinguish truth from error. You hear something and you say, that just doesn't sound right. And you go to God's word and you find out that it wasn't right. That's discernment. Some people have the gift of exhortation. They're encouragers. Some of you just, I mean, you encourage people. You encourage me and you encourage others like, like, like Barnabas in the New Testament. Others have the gift of prophecy. And that doesn't mean to, to tell the future. The spiritual gift of prophecy is being able to boldly proclaim the word of God. That's my dominant spiritual gift. Prophecy. To be able to boldly proclaim what God's word says. Some have the gift of teaching, which is, is able to teach God's word with understanding to people. Some have the, the spiritual gift of faith. Some of you have, more, you have faith that I wish I had. Because see, when you have the spiritual gift of faith... You can have insurmountable odds, and your faith never wavers. Some have the spiritual gift of giving. I mean, some of you would give somebody the shirt off your back. You can't give God enough. You just have the gift of giving. Others have the gift of hospitality. Some, some of you ladies like to open your home. You like to make people feel welcome and at ease. Why? Because you have the spiritual gift of hospitality. Others have the gift of service and helps. They recognize practical needs and how to meet them. What would happen if everybody knew their spiritual gifts and with passion used those spiritual gifts? In 1950, the Indy cars, only four people could work in the pit, and, and that was one of those included the driver. It would take them over 60 seconds to change two tires and fill the tank with gas. It's much different today. Watch this video with me. But Holland comes in for a pit stop. Time to refuel and change tires. Lou Moore himself changes the tires. Only four crew members, including the driver, are allowed to work on the car. It's a tense time. Holland stays in his seat, anxious to get away. Let's watch. are changed at last. A crewman polishes the windshield as Holland moves away just 67 seconds after he stops.
over 20 people, all passionately knowing their job and responsibility and doing it, and the tires were changed and gas was put into the car in under three seconds. Now let me ask you, which, which of those two models does the average church resemble more? A lot of churches resemble the 1950 model where just a few people do the work and the church just plods along. But I am convinced that if we know our spiritual gifts and every one of us are passionate about using our spiritual gifts, we'll look like 2013 Melbourne and, and so much more will be done in, in so little time. That's a picture of what we need to be like as we're passionate about our spiritual gift. Fourth, I was placed in a body to serve. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one, has many members, all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Later in that chapter, verse 22. Indeed, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. If a part of a person's body becomes unusable, we call that person disabled, right? You know, if a, if a foot stops working, I would have a disability and would be disabled, the New Testament calls us the body of Christ. If every part of the body is not functioning the way God designed it to function, then we, the church body, are disabled. And so God has given you a spiritual gift to serve him here in this body. And unless you're doing it, we're disabled. We're not functioning the way we should be able to function if we don't use our spiritual gifts. Number two, every Christian should discover their unique, unique place to shine. Every one of you have a place to shine in the church. Place. We talk about place. What does place stand for? Well, here's what makes up who you are. The first, the P is personality discovery. The DISC profile, you know, dominance, influence, steadiness, conscientiousness. I know it's going to come as a surprise to you that I am a dominant D. I mean, out of like 25 points, I scored 23 in the D category. What that means is confident, bottom line oriented, straight to the point. Influencers uh, are enthusiastic, collaborators. Uh, S, steadiness, they're dependable, sincere, cooperative. C, conscientiousness, are about accuracy and want detail and expertise. But every one of us have a personality that contributes to who we are. It does. But the L stands for learning our spiritual gifts. To use your spiritual gifts, you have to know what they are. And I've told you, by this time next week, every single person here ought to know what your spiritual gifts are. If not, you have nobody to blame but yourself. Learning your spiritual gifts. The A stands for abilities, awareness. Every one of us have different abilities. A guy by the name of John Holland, vocational theory of six abilities. Realistic, investigative, artistic, social, enterprising, and conventional. God has blessed every single person here with abilities that he wants to use. The realistic person is practical. They're mechanically oriented. I am convinced that that part of my brain, I had a lobotomy when I was born. They just cut the mechanical part out. I mean, it's gone. That's not me. And I'm, I'm grateful that some of you are like that, that you have those gifts because I, abilities because I don't. 
investigative. These are problem solvers. They like science and math, and um, they're, they're precise. Some of you are investigative. Artistic is expressive, independent, likes drama and art and music. And Hello, Brother Dana. Artistic. Social. A social person is helpful, friendly, trustworthy. They like teaching. They're, they're typically nurses. The uh, E is enterprising. They are good at leading, persuasive, ambitious, energetic. C is conventional. They like structure, and they're good at following and working a plan. Every one of us have abilities, and God wants to use those, those abilities together. The C stands for connecting passion with ministry. What is it that drives you? What is it you are passionate about? You know, I'm passionate about sports. Can God use that for his glory? Absolutely. As, as I officiate with other officials who don't know Christ, and I ride with them and get to share Christ with them, he can use a passion in ministry. So what is it that drives you? And then the E is your experience in life. Every one of us have different experiences, and they all play a vital role in the makeup of who we are. Now notice when the five things come together, what happens? There's a star in the middle. You know who that star is? That's you. Because th that's your place. When you know those five things, you are operating in your sweet spot. You're, you're, you're doing what God created you to do. You have a unique place to shine. Third and last, every Christian should go in service. Let me ask you, should you, should you serve inside the church or outside the church? Yes. Yes. In other words, you should do both. We're, we should serve Christ in the church, but we should also serve Christ outside of the church. Now, when we talk about serving inside the church, opportunities inside of Eastwood, we've been guilty. The staff was talking about this, and, and we've been guilty of not explaining all of the various ways you can serve. Because when we talk about service, people typically talk about just a few categories. Okay, so if I'm going to serve, I can either sing, I can teach, I can work in the nursery. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of running out of opportunities after that. And, and if you say, well, I'm not a teacher and I'm not a singer, and I never have liked kids, how am I going to serve? Well, listen to these opportunities. Yes, there are singers, but there's also instrumental people. There's audiovisual people. When Dana has a production, there are, people, there, there are people that sew those costumes together. There's makeup people that put the makeup on the people that are in the production. People that are good at woodworking. Who, who do you think builds the staging for all of those productions? We need bus drivers, people that can drive the buses here. We need people in grounds maintenance, in hospitality. We need office volunteers that would be willing to come in and help answer the phone and do things to help the ladies. Um, we need security people to be part of our security team. We need more greeters, more people to work the information desk. We need mentors who will take somebody who's a new Christian and mentor them in the faith one-on-one, -on -one, help them to grow. We need place assistants that help people discover place. We need emergency health workers. We need people that will do shut-in visitation, take shut-ins, meals. We need transportation for many of our senior adults. I can't tell you how many times Pastor Greg has had to drive somebody to a doctor's appointment, often all the way to Nashville. And he doesn't mind doing it because Pastor Greg will do anything for anybody. But how easy would it be for somebody who has the time and the ability to drive 
to call and tell Greg, say, listen, next time you get a call like that, give me the blessing of driving that person to their doctor's appointment. Let me do that. That's a way you could serve. If you want to work with children, vacation Bible schools, special events, you could teach, you could decorate for things like vacation Bible schools, work the check-in desk at the preschool counter. You can work in recreation. We have recreation on Wednesday nights as part of the learning experience for the kids. Basically, what I want you to see is there's all kinds of opportunities inside of Eastwood besides just singing, teaching, or working in the nursery. Opportunities outside of Eastwood. We've found that there are a lot of ministries that a lot of you already partner with. And why reinvent the wheel? I mean, if somebody's doing a good job in ministering, why not come alongside of them and work with them rather than trying to duplicate what they're already doing? And so we've identified four ministries that we want to partner with. One is Hope House. Many of you already work at Hope House. We've had people on their board. That's great. Another ministry is Curbside Ministries that works with, with children in the more impoverished parts of Bowling Green. We, many of you serve there, and we want to come alongside and help. Um, Habitat for Humanity. We want to help build homes for people. The Foundry, which is a, a ministry you may not know about, but it comes alongside of children all the way through from birth all the way through high school, and we want to come alongside of them. 2018 is what we're calling the Year of Blessing. Next Sunday night at our One Church celebration, when both campuses come together, we'll be talking about how 2018 is the Year of Blessing at Eastwood Baptist Church. What's that mean? We want 150 church families to be a blessing to 150 families outside the church. We want you to find ways to serve your neighbors. To be a blessing to them. And so we're going to be talking more in depth about that next Sunday evening at, at the One Church Celebration. We'll, we'll help you accomplish that. In our text, it says, He, God, Himself, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastor teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Let's talk about that just for a second. Did you, see, did you see there are job descriptions for both the pastor and the people there? Our, our job descriptions are in those two verses. The people do the work of the ministry. The pastor equips them to do the work of the ministry. And so the reason you have pastors here is so that we can equip you, train you, and help you so that you can do the work of the ministry. That's literally what Paul wrote, the first Reformation put the Word of God back into the hands of the people. I am convinced that the church today needs a second Reformation that would put the work back into the hands of the people. Because that's what this teaches. Saints do the work of the ministry. Let me tell you what you won't find when you read the New Testament. You won't find committees. You won't find boards. You won't find parliamentary procedure. You won't find business uh, meetings when you read the New Testament. We impose a secular form of governance on the church, and then when the church gets bogged down and doesn't go very far, we wonder why. Here's the most important decision every church will face. Are you with me? The most important decision that we will face as a church family is who will do the ministry and who will lead. And so often, churches get it backwards. Churches tell the pastors, you do the work of the ministry. That's what we pay you for. And we'll lead the direction of the church. That's, that's not the biblical model. 
That's not what Paul is teaching here. For us to be the church that God wants us to be, I have to give up something and you have to give up something. I have to give up the work of the ministry. Now, I do it because I'm a Christian, but I have to be willing to let go of some of the things. Why? Because that's what God has called you to do. And you have to give up the leadership of the church because that's what God has called me to do. And so we each give up something. When you have a pastor who is feeding his sheep, who is leading his sheep, and the sheep are following and they are serving God, you have a church that's going places. A church that's functioning the way that it was designed to function. So I ask you today, do you have the attitude of a servant? I can remember when Jan and I were lay people in seminary and we went to find a new church. I know the questions lay people ask. We were guilty of asking them. Here's, here's how we approach a church. What can this church do for me and my family? That's, that's what we ask. You know, how, how can this church meet our needs? When that's not the right question, the right question is how can I serve the Lord and his church in this place? That's the right question to ask. God, can, can I use my gifts and abilities here in serving you? You know, what, you know what God's looking for in this church? In any church, he's looking for servants. Bottom line. Leonard Bernstein, the late Leonard Bernstein, used to be a, a great orchestra conductor. Um, he was asked one time, what is the most difficult instrument to play in the orchestra? I thought he had a really interesting answer. His answer was, second fiddle and the person asked him so so is playing the violin is that is that harder than playing a piccolo or a flute or an oboe or any of the other instruments and he said no it's just that everybody wants to be first chair friend the orchestra doesn't sound good unless every seat is filled and every instrument is playing that's what the picture of the church ought to be. Every person doing their part and the church becomes a beautiful instrument. Father, we thank you for the words that we have heard and understood today and I pray that they have been taught with clarity that we are beginning to get our minds around what you would have us to be as a church. Lord, this is not what it's not about what I as pastor want this church to be or we as pastors want this church to be. God, we, we are painting a picture of what we believe your word teaches us that you want us to be. And so, Lord, help us to be that church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ,